0: if you're in tune with it you are in correspondence with the helicopter that goes by or the air conditioning unit that just kicked on or the power washers that are all of a sudden they're washing all the walls i mean like there's there's all kinds of things the motorcycle that goes by the people talking or celebrating in the background
1: This is Champagne is also a band podcast. One songwriter, one song. I'm Sven, your host for a journey into the music of Champagne Urbana. Recorded in the Blue Box studio with a songwriter from the Champagne Urbana music scene, past or present. Champagne is also a band podcast is proud to be a part of the Champagne Showers podcast network. Welcome to Champagne is also a band podcast. Today, I have Jason Finkelman. And you may know Jason Finkelman from such groups as Kuroshio, Improvisers Exchange, Bordema, Ibrahim, Wadrigo, and Jason Finkelman, Sea of Stars, Music for Dance, Sunset 4, EO Mining Core, Ferrocene 3, New Orbit Ensemble, Straylight, and also as a member of Zekabam, Bailalai, and Treethump. So Jason, welcome to the show. (laughs) Thank you. Today we're going to be listening to your piece, Bereavement, off of the album Kuroshio. And so without further ado, let's listen to the piece. (laughs) So, he So, going to go to the moon. Welcome back, Jason. I usually like to ask what came first, the words or the music, but since this is an improvised piece, my first question may be more of uh, just before the piece is improvised and you're just about to sit down in front of your instrument, what goes through your head or does it depend on the piece? Sven, thanks again
0: for inviting me to talk about the music of Cardocio this is all improvised music and just listening back to this piece bereavement which is the opening track on the self-titled release this is improvised music sometimes it's hard to distinguish who's doing what when there's you know so many different textures and sounds going on and this was a real time improvisation but the one thing that sets this piece and some of the other pieces on this release apart is that they were programmatic we were meditating in bereavement on the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, which we're now remembering 77 years ago. When we recorded this, we were going into the 75th anniversary. And we were also collaborating with a visual artist who was doing live projection work with us, Michael Kerner, who's part of the University of Illinois. And so in the recording sessions, we were collaborating with him. And this piece was in two parts. Michael was always using these relics in his projected chemical reactions. And his whole story and his artwork is all based upon his being a son of two parents who witnessed weaponized nuclear power. His mother is a survivor of the bombing and his father was at Castle Bravo testing. So he's dedicated his work towards this remembrance and this being of that moment and navigating that through his life. And it was just this amazing collaboration that we had to create three of the works on here specifically. Bereavement is referring to the bereavement medal that Japanese families would be given when they lost a son in war, or maybe a son or daughter. He had a bereavement medal in the dish that he was doing his chemical reaction in, and we were cinematically scoring or Actually, it was a full improvisational collaboration because Michael was also like responding in real time to us. There's so many different layers and levels of information in this piece that just upon listening to it, you would not necessarily glean. Upon repeated listenings, and in this particular performance of it, we had a second section... Where we have a story in Japanese being told and there were some English translations. This is the only piece that has some I wouldn't call them lyrics. <laughs> right. But there is some text in this piece. That text is referring to an interview that I did with a friend named Asami Endo, who recently moved away from our community back to Japan. But we had a conversation about, you know, in Japan when you're in high school, how do you navigate learning about the war or how is the war taught or how are survivors of the bombings you know how is that information shared with students so she shared a story with me about meeting a survivor of the bombings a hibakusha what struck me was her opening statement of what in relaying this story about what this survivor had said to the students she said i could tell you about this experience but there is no way that you will ever even comprehend what we experienced so that story is embedded in that piece too so whether that's a layer you actually hear feel or you know how does that come to be so i just felt like this piece was a really important piece to share with your listeners because you know in our moment of history now where there's global conflict going on we have to be reminded of atrocities that nobody could even comprehend
1: one of the things that struck me as you were talking about this piece is Also about how do we talk about our history? I mean, there's plenty of things that we can arguably say we should be taught about in schools and be made aware of, but yet there are certain roadblocks that are put up in order to prevent us from actually knowing what the truth is that potentially might make us feel bad as Americans.
0: That is absolutely all part of the conversation for sure. I mean, Japan doesn't really focus on the history in the way that the U.S. focuses on the history, of course, right? Right. From my point of view and for many others, the atomic bombing was not needed at that point. Only needed for, you know, the United States to show their power and create what possibly was an experiment, you know, right. on, a, on a nation, on a people, you know, to study and to, you know, instill fear. And exude power across the globe.
1: There's a lot to unpack with that. But it's also like, well, why was the decision made to attack Japan? Why not Germany? Why not? You know, and I mean... Exactly. I'm I'm sure there's tomes written about this decision. But you could even make the argument that, well, because they were not white there's a ton to unpack with all this these are things that pop into my head as we're talking about this so
0: this release and the process of making this music was incredible it was an incredible experience i'll just say that there's so many different things about this particular release there's so much information embedded in it in certain ways kimono and red cross badge are also these meditations on the war moment because the relic that Michael used for kimono was a kimono button that would have been a vintage button of a kimono that lived through that era. And red cross badge is another badge that would have been provided to a soldier who survived combat. So all of these pieces and the approach that we took, although it's improvised music, I asked the musicians to meditate on these things. And so that comes through in the music. And in regard to bereavement, the moment where the text comes in that's the shift and that was cued there was one sonic element because the real like crunchy that's the text manipulated so that was one of my samples Uh, okay so i would cue that in but i had no idea where the group would go necessarily. Mm. I don't think we performed this piece many times before this recording session, so it might have been really as fresh
1: as two or three times performing Mm. it. In the recording process, just so that the listeners can visualize what's going on, are you sitting in a sound stage? Are you able to see... I mean, you said the visual elements. Are you able to see these? Describe the area that everyone is in, in this recording.
0: That's very easy to do. So... (laughs) One of the things for improvisers that I think is really important is that we record in a way in which we could hear each other, that it's really a live performance. We set up in the music building auditorium at the University of Illinois. We had access to a projector and the way that Michael was using his cell phone camera and tapping into the projector and projecting above us. So we were sort of facing the projection. We were in a semicircle or so you know, the stage area, the open area in the Music Building Auditorium. I had hired the audio department to record this session. So Frank Hoger and Graham Duncan were there recording in the Music Building Auditorium for us. And then Frank and I mixed the release. So it was nice because we had a room recording, but we also had isolated channels. So the technical side of it was that we could go back in and we could change the balance a little bit. And then Graham mastered it. I didn't record it, though, with the intention of releasing it. I recorded it with the intention of documenting this incredible electronic music trio that was sort of a dream team. I had heard that Alan was going to be leaving us soon. I had given him a hard time once about not documenting a duet that he had that was really super special in a professional way. So I had to take my own medicine and I was like, we're definitely documenting this trio before you leave. (laughs) Now, this was recorded in January of 2020. So, right before everything shut down with COVID. So, the timing was just perfect. We were at the right place with the right combination of people to create such a beautiful set of
1: music. Let's start at the very nuts and bolts of this improvisation. Was there any specific direction between the three of you? To me, I'm fascinated it feels like such a cohesive story from beginning to end. There's kind of the idea of something forming in the beginning and things coming together and some elements of like, ooh, that's really beautiful. And then there's kind of these sinister elements coming in. And what was the direction in terms of where you wanted to start to where you wanted to go? Was it just images or did you say, like, these are the elements I'd like to include?
0: That's very easy to answer. The only guide that we had for this improvisation was if we're going to meditate on the day of the bombing on august 6th it was a beautiful morning it was peaceful it was early morning so let's think about that as part of our coming into the music and then when we bring in the voice and the story that's the moment of chaos that's the moment of everything is upside down on fire And then we go into the third section. And the third section is the resolve to survive. To push on through all the hardship. And then that goes also into this other Japanese-American experience too. You'll hear the word gaman in the recording. And that is sort of like that we're going to self-preserve. We're going to push through this. We're going to survive. Right, And so that's a a very Japanese type of thing. I'm half Japanese, so like I do a lot of my work at this point in my life thinking about family, thinking about history, thinking about the incarceration of Japanese Americans during World War II, and thinking about the impact of that period of time on all of us. I think that being the grandchild of family members on one side of my Jewish family fought, pushed through the Rhineland at the end of the war... Liberated a subcamp of Buchenwald and saw the aftermath days later at Buchenwald after Buchenwald was liberated. So, the Holocaust experience that my Jewish grandfather experienced as an American soldier and as a medic in an engineering combat battalion, I think about all the things that he perhaps witnessed. And then on the other side, my Japanese family was incarcerated during the war and they lost their whole livelihoods they were removed from their homes. So these are themes that run into the work that I like to express. So Corocio as a group came together as this idea that I don't even think really you could answer. So it's a kind of an unanswerable question, but in a way it was sort of a curiosity as well. And so I wanted to have an ensemble where it was focused on players of the Asian diaspora. Was there any way that this music, somehow we communicate as improvisers in some other kind of way. Is it an opportunity for us to share our stories together and create better understanding about the diversity and the conflict among our different cultures and people? The histories of East Asia are incredible as well. So there's a lot of different histories and there's a lot of different opportunity for conversation and understanding and also through sound and through the work that we do. In this instance we were really focusing on that historical period because it was the 75th anniversary of the bombings
1: what instruments were represented in this piece
0: all right well for me the acoustic instruments that I'm playing are very clear it gets very unclear to figure out what Alan Wu was doing on his electronic setup what I'm doing with my laptop electronics and then it's easy to hear the theremin when Joy's playing But it's also mysterious when Alan, who is also a great theremin player, he didn't play theremin in the session, but he works with samples as well as I do. One of the distinctions with the samples I work with, I try to sample all my own instruments. So I'm Mm -hmm. deriving my sound from my own instruments. I will say that in the beginning of that piece, I had these new shakers for myself, but I've known them for a long time, known of them. These, these metal shakers that are now manufactured by Meinl. But I had actually met the creator of them years ago in upstate New York. But I could hear that sound very distinctly. That's the beginning. There's a part where I play an overtone flute from Tuva. There's that flute part. But I also had just been gifted like these two whistles from Brazil that just have one tone. Maybe they're for hunting. Maybe they're for whatever. But they sort of have like this owl tone or... Owl's not right, but it has like a low tone and it's very rich. And I hear that in the beginning before the overtone flute. Mm. I do process my sounds live with a double delay pedal. So I'm using an eventide. There's a series of acoustic sounds, but then I'm also at the same time playing some of my ambient and samples. Joy plays Theremin early on and Alan is doing all the noisy bits. Mm. Alan is really, he likes to play like that crunchy rumbly crackly Mm -hmm. noisy bits in the whole release and that's just something that was really beautiful about the three of us like we distinctly had our own voices in the sounds but then there's those moments where they get blurry so joy so brilliantly plays piano and has that whole ending Mm. that is just she drove that i mean it's so gorgeous what she plays in that piece So, Joy Yang on piano and theremin, Alan Wu on his laptop electronics that he controls with an instrument controller called the Linstrument, which I don't know too much about it, but it's like a light board. It's a three-dimensional controller, and he's using some of his custom-made algorithms or patches, and he's using all of his own samples. So, at the end, there's like kind of this whispery theremin sound. I'm pretty sure that's Alan. In other tracks on this It's a little like windy yeah. as well. Like Yeah, it's got a little of yeah. of,
1: of that. Well, sorry, I, I I sorry, I'm getting excited because if that's what's going on, there's this very cool mimicking of what was going on previously in the melody that uh, it absolutely kind of gets in there and it's so it's like this echo of a Yeah, anyway, sorry. I'm not I, I to interrupt I'm glad you, but I get excited about that because that was I wrote about the ending, I said the melody full of beauty but mourning the past. I kind of avoided some of the information about what this was about because I wanted to get my own interpretation and then I also love to be surprised.
0: Right, well if you don't read the liner notes at all, you might not pick up that we're meditating on the the war period. The other thing is, is that it stands as its own piece. But I also feel like the whole, when you asked me to select us a piece of music from this. It was a little tricky for me because the CD is programmed in a way that I i feel like has this beautiful journey from the beginning to the end. The last track on the CD is actually the first track we recorded in the day. But when I listened to it, I mean, when, when we made it, it was sort of like our sound check in a way. We knew it was great. Like we knew we had the right setup, the right sound, that this was going to work. That piece is a little... Bit shorter. I mean, it's almost eight minutes long. Bereavement's 12 minutes long. You know, when I listened to the pieces and I laid them out in sequence, I felt that this was the flow that I wanted for this particular release, which again, we weren't necessarily recording this music with the intention of releasing it. That was a really beautiful thing that came later.
1: But you had a general thought about it, almost couldn't help but to be an album at the end where it was from beginning to end. A story it marks a day in our lives right
0: I mean our energy was in the room you know all the various things that go on when you do a recording session we tried to do it within a you know a frame of a limited amount of time here's the thing I want to go back to the track cuz I we got sidetracked (laughs) but getting back to the first piece right bereavement it was a programmatic piece of music we had the certain meditation we had the cue that when I made the cue we knew we were going to shift. We knew that we wanted that shift to be chaotic. We knew that the story was about surviving the bombing. The ending part, just to get back to the ending, the brilliant thing about this particular trio was we never really discussed anything that we were going to do. It was so organic and so natural, this partnership between the three of us. There was this really beautiful connection I mean, Alan is a electronic musician, a theremin player, and went through our composition program. He's now back in Taiwan teaching. And Joy is a graduate student who was just featured on one of your previous episodes. You know, she's really intuitive as well. Working with Alan and Joy and myself together as a trio, there's such great listening going on. And there's such a stylistic range that we could go into. What I really appreciated about this trio was that very little had to be said. It was just, mm-hmm. we would sit down and do it. That's the magic of improvised music. When you're working with musicians who could sort of intuit a moment. And Alan's ear training is so great that as soon as he could hear what Joy is doing, he's able to create that support. With improvisers Exchange, the ensemble that I teach at the University of Illinois, or I guide, because I also refrain from saying i teach improvisation to students right i mean i create the atmosphere and experience the opportunity for students to experience different strategies that an improviser might take you know again what was so great about alan and joy is that we never had to really talk about any of that Mm -hmm. just having the mood an understanding of what the history was that we're conveying, having the collaboration with the visual artist, all of these things played in effect to making this music.
1: I usually try to talk about my favorite part in the piece. Honestly, that, that ending, it starts at about 10 minutes. So it's like the last two minutes of this quiet contemplation. But also, I can't remember the last time that I've heard such a beautiful melodic line. Joy does this wonderful thing. I don't want to call it like a corruption, but it's like the the line will be beautiful. And then all of a sudden, like a little note just kind of sneaks in that's that's a little off of the scale, or it just feels like it's kind of bouncing out of, of what the beautiful line is, and it's kind of this, these kind of mourning tones, I want to say, like this seems so positive, And then all of a sudden, it's like, yeah, but don't forget these things. I know that's not part of your specific improvisation, but I feel like that part of the piece, it's everybody, how do I say this too, is I feel like the best improvisers are people that know how to get out of each other's way and are allow, allow each other to have their their chance to speak it doesn't become muddled but it becomes like supportive and i think that that's one thing that you know after the really abrupt change and darkness and the bomb dropping to be able to somehow go through that forest and then break through together to that very beautiful melodic line and everybody recognize that that's where it's headed i think it's such a an amazing thing and and as we were listening to it again, I had to notice, I noticed myself that I'm like, oh, I was forgetting to breathe. I, I kept having to take these deep breaths because I was like, I was trying to listen so intently to what was going on that I I was like, because I'm like, I, I was trying to be so quiet that I didn't realize that I was taking such shallow breaths. And <laughs> so there's this projection of meditative quality that is being projected from the music that is generated by meditation in a way. So, I know that that was a roundabout answer about what my favorite part is, but I'm kind of curious what your favorite part of this specific piece is.
0: First, I want to say thank you for sharing your impression of the piece. I mean, I'm always interested in what listeners think of the music. I mean, because it is an abstract art in a way this improvised music that I pursue that I like to call ambient avant world. And sometimes I add jazz to it depending on who's in the configuration. I have to say, I agree. I mean, it emerges in a way that that ending section is so incredibly, I mean, joy pulls us out of the darkness and leads us on a way that gives us hope, Mm -hmm. you know, or the strength, you know, even though it, it, it has this other kind of melody in it, the strength to know that, everything will be okay. When we would perform this piece, when we were doing this work, cause I I don't actually think we've performed this in a while. My whole setup changed too. So then I have to recreate it. I have to reconstruct it if I'm gonna perform this piece in particular. Saying that we're gonna perform the piece, the only structure that is there And I guess it would depend if Joy wanted to hold on to some of these elements. It's a little bit harder once you start setting an improvisation as a composition, but I'm not necessarily opposed to that because of the work that I've done in dance and other forms where live music has to be fixed. But then I often work with artists that allow for this flexibility in the elements, in the performance. So anyway, with that said, I I just want to thank you again for sharing your thoughts on it. And I would love... To hear any other thoughts from from your listeners, that
1: would be great. So, if Alan Wu is now in Taiwan, what is going on with Kiroshio? Kiroshio is
0: an ever-evolving ensemble. A strategy I had to come up with because I know that people come and go from the University of Illinois and from our community all the time. I've had many bands, you mentioned them earlier on, like IO Mining Core and Sunset 4 was... The last project I did, and then everybody, you know, member went to South Africa to work. What's happening with Kuroshio is it's evolved to being a quartet of musicians featuring Saori Kataoka on trumpet, and she brings out flugelhorn and a lot of other trumpets occasionally, and Kavi Naidu on saxophones and flute. Really wonderful that all three of the members and myself, we all have backgrounds in jazz. So now the ensemble has evolved into having more of this ambient avant world jazz sound. And so I really appreciate that and the contributions of those members.
1: If it's a trumpet and a saxophone, are there electronic elements that you're bringing in with those two instruments? Or are they functioning only on the acoustic level?
0: As of now, they are only functioning on an acoustic level. I mean, I think that both of them have interest in expanding the sound through electronics perhaps I don't know that would be up to them but between joy and myself there's still a balance of electronic music and this group actually was brought together for the first time we did a project a performance so a silent film that was organized by the urbana free library and the urbana culture and arts we played to the film dragon painter which is a silent film that features a Japanese American actor and was this film that was done by his production company so it was like one of the first film perhaps that had a full production crew that were Japanese Americans and other other Asian actors and so that's how this group with Kavi and Sordi and Joy came together you know i knew that Kavi had spent some time in Japan he's a product of our community he was born and raised here and he's now based in chicago
1: Because food insecurity among students is so high, they serve students as well as others in and around the Champaign-Urbana community who struggle with hunger. Meals are free to all and will be served each Monday evening, located in the accessible lower level of the building at 6th and Daniel Streets in Champaign. For more information on the meal or how to volunteer, Go to the Jubilee Cafe C-U-C-C Facebook page or email them at jubilee.cafe at community-ucc.org. That's jubilee.cafe at community-ucc.org. Welcome back. So, Jason... What is your favorite Champagne urbana venue?
0: Currently, my favorite Champagne urbana venue is the Rose Bowl Tavern. I think they were leading the way during COVID, creating a soundstage, collaborating with community organizations, including projects that I did initiated from the University of Illinois under my programming. My official position at the University of Illinois is Artistic Director of Global Arts Performance Initiatives. It was really great to witness and understand what was happening during the time of that transition, providing a video and audio soundstage to perform live remotely, Mm -hmm. you know, to everybody connected on the internet.
1: I really hope that some of the lessons that we learned during the pandemic about trying to keep people connected even when they can't make it to shows or keeping the accessibility to shows, live streaming service was kind of critical. What would you like to see more going on in the Champagne urbana music scene that would make improvised music more accessible and experiment with improvised music?
0: After the pandemic and the Rose Bowl you know, providing this outdoor space and then eventually moving back inside. It's one of the best sounding stages inside, I think, in our community right now. The outdoor space has been really great for people to feel safe and gather again and be reconnected with live music. The beautiful thing in regard to improvised music in this community and one of the things that grew out of this engagement that I had with improvisers exchange programming with the Rose Bowl, we started doing first Monday of the month sessions featuring the ensemble. Now, I want to say that Improvisers Exchange is sort of a multi-tiered programming, presenting artist residency, you know, inviting guest artists in to collaborate with students and community members. There's all these things going on as part of that line of programming. Improvises Exchange started as a Center for Advanced Study initiative for two years. And so when I was given that opportunity, I put in a proposal to say, well, I want to bring in artists. We're going to do four semesters. Each semester will focus in a different area. The last semester included a graduate seminar class on music, improvisation, and ecology. So that was really super cool. If you want to know more about that, I could give you some Idea of different directions I could take. Making music from found natural objects, huh. amplifying those objects, and so forth. Making instruments out of found and repurposed materials, which is what I came out of in Philadelphia when I met my teacher Adi Mukumba, who is a self taught instrument maker who would make African and Brazilian instruments out of found and repurposed materials. Those are some of the lines that we took communicating with wildlife. Playing with the animals of the forest, for example. Right. <laughs> so anyway, so that was four semesters. And, and in those four semesters, we also started the Improvisers Exchange Ensemble, where I was able to express my expertise of being an improviser for all these years. I mean, I came up in the music in Philadelphia as an improviser, one with my teacher, Adimu, who was giving me this grounding in rhythm, but also this African-American aesthetic where, you know, Listening was key, learning was aural, and everything that I did with him was really about tuning into the tempo, the changes of dynamics, keeping an eye on him because anything could change. (laughs) Also in Philadelphia, I was working with an electronic musician who introduced me into improvised music in the style of Pauline Oliveris, who I met and who became a mentor of mine, I would just say, in regard this little history lesson of improvisation in my yeah. life, the key thing about Pauline was that she let me understand that there is this rich history of this music, and that I wasn't just doing something that was a flight of fancy, that mm. it was not serious music. There was actually a whole host of people who had pursued improvised music as a means of creating. That was really important for me at that time. So going back to improvised Exchange, so there's an ensemble that performs at the Rose Bowl Tavern uh-huh. every first Monday of the month. This fall semester, we'll have a whole new ensemble of students, but also it's been a platform to engage with community members too because we invite those who want to join us in the second set. And I'll engineer it on the fly in the sense that if we have six people on stage already and we have three or four other people who want to join us well i don't want to have a 10 piece ensemble just going haywire mm. you know or full right. on for the last set but maybe what we'll do is we'll construct a couple duets or trios i'll sort of intuit what might work well from what i know if i don't know about The person at all maybe i'll insert myself or one of the more advanced players and when i say advanced just somebody who i know has had more experience in more situations the underlying thing for improvisers exchange is that my premise and my thought about the music is that musicians of all backgrounds and all levels of experience can create meaningful music through the art of improvisation once they learn some listening strategies once they understand how to hold on to their voice in the mix, how to insert their voice into the spectrum of the sound. It is a very sound-oriented art in the way that I present it, but I also use the term omni-idiomatic improvised music. So again, going back to that thought where musicians from every background and every level of experience, if you're a blues guitarist, how do you fit in with, I don't know, like a classical violinist? If you're an electronic musician who is self-taught, how do you fit in with a virtuosic saxophone player. That that actually is probably pretty easy, <laughs> but it all depends on where your headspace is and your approach. One of the beautiful things about this community and about the Rose Bowl, and to go back to your question, what do I want to see in support of this music? The Rose Bowl has provided, to a certain extent, a home for improvisers to explore. Joy has brought some of her projects to the Rose Bowl and Briar, who was on one of your previous shows, wonderful cellist has been exploring her music there at the Rose Bowl in different configurations and under different titles. (laughs) Just having a place to share the music and for other people to experience it and to educate new audiences on like, what is this about? How do you even listen to it? Do you let it just flow over you and experience it just for sound? When you play outside of the Rose Bowl, you're dealing with all the external sound, too. If you're in tune with it, you are in correspondence with the helicopter that goes by, or the air conditioning unit that just kicked on, or the power washers that are all of a sudden there washing all the walls. I mean, like, there's there's all kinds of things. The motorcycle that goes by, the people talking or Mm. celebrating in the background. How did you end up at the University of Illinois? Oh, well... You know, my wife and I, my wife, Cynthia Oliver, was recruited by the dance department here. And we arrived from New York City in 2000. And in our minds, we were just going to go and check it out for a few years. I think that's a common story for many people who are here 20 plus years. It's just been really fantastic for Cynthia and I to continue to develop our collaborative work as composer for dance, for myself and her choreography. Our last full evening work was called Virago Mandem. Previously to that, Cynthia's work always focused on black womanhood, family, and these type of thematic areas. In this case, with Virago Mandem, she... Set a piece on male dancers or male identifying dancers that was very virago of her. <laughs> the word virago in the Caribbean is used as a derogatory statement to say like a woman is having very masculine tendencies. So somebody might use the word that way in the Caribbean where my wife is from. She, for the first time, explored black masculinity in her choreography and work, which is very text-based. And so there's story, movement, and performance, many layers in her work as well.
1: What do you think makes a good music scene or a good music community? Well, I think
0: we're so very lucky in Urbana-Champaign because we have such a dynamic range of music here. And there's a legacy, a historical legacy of famous bands coming out of here There's been these incredible historical periods of the music being created at the University of Illinois, being created in the community. I think that's another thing that I want to be very clear about. It's like I want to be invested as much as music making in our community as well as on the campus at the University of Illinois. We have student ensembles at the University of Illinois with no affiliation with the School of Music that are sharing music from all over the planet. So there's a really robust international music scene that is happening sort of in these nooks and crannies of our campus and in our community. One of the real bright spots for me personally recently is developing a duet with Bordema Weidraogo. He's from Burkina Faso. He loves playing music. He comes from a music family. He's been living in our community for like seven years And only recently during this COVID period, we had an opportunity to to collaborate on a project to present his music. He plays in West African music styles. He creates his own songs. I get to play Calabash an Empty Gourd, which is set up like a bass drum, but also you have like a ring on your finger to make a a clacking sound. So you have like the deep, like bass drum, four on the floor kind of vibe, and then you play accents and i get to play kungas and then we do some some more i guess for that music more experimental stuff with birambal and guitar and and kalimba's you know we're having a really beautiful time sharing stories so i look forward to continuing to develop that duet uh, jean-rené balakita represents gospel music from the congolese community and he was very well known in drc and he's one of our community members. He's now studying at the University of Illinois, which is fantastic. And he's introduced to our community not only some of the instruments from his home country that are unusual to see in the, in the United States, like a, an instrument called indara, which is a six string harp type of instrument. It's sort of like the Ethiopian kra. It's a similar kind of instrument. It's like a lyre. So it has a cross oh. beam across the top and the strings come down from there but you mute the strings, and, and the way he plays is you strum them. It's very amazing to be able to experience all of these different music traditions in our community. There are South Asian musicians, artists from Iran, performing Persian music. There are amazing Chinese musicians on our campus playing blends of traditional music and Western music. So, you know, I've had the opportunity through the work that I do through Global Arts Performance Initiatives, to meet a lot of these student leaders and musicians, some who want to perform a lot and some who just, I happen to meet, you know, I strike up a conversation and try to find out yeah. what they do. Anyway, what could make this seem more robust is just providing more and more opportunities for this exchanging of musical styles and cultures and programming that puts maybe a rock band and an international musician and an experimental artist together on the same bill, you know, and see what kind of experience that might be.
1: I definitely think that collaboration and exposure and opportunity are integral to having a good, healthy music scene. Having people be able to see that different types of music exist. Because I feel like if somebody's sitting in their own little cube Playing music and thinks well nobody nobody makes music that sounds like this maybe they maybe they want to be an innovator or whatever but also to be able to know that that kind of music and that there is an interest in that kind of music
0: something just popped in my mind as soon as you said that because i had a student in improvisers exchange that was a noise artist but developed this incredibly sensitive way of playing noise music because they were in a dormitory all the time in their cubicle practicing quietly so instead of like always having the harshest sound and like really you know 10 plus volume this student was able to create in improvisers exchange just such a gorgeous layer in the music for us even when you're you know doing your research in a vacuum when you meet the right moment to express yourself then it it
1: pays off Champaign is also a band podcast is proud to support Exile on Main Street. Exile on Main Street, located in the old train station building at 100 North Chestnut Street in downtown Champaign, has been helping to build record collections since 2004, carrying a wide array of new and used LPs, CDs, and video games. Exile on Main Street has something for just about any music enthusiast and old school gaming devotee. jason what is your favorite non-musical thing (laughs) you know it's funny because i i
0: i would say that you know currently i'm pretty obsessed with disc golf but in a way there's a sound that i just love about disc golf (laughs) (laughs) when you hit those chains it sounds really great but i also you know appreciate being outside Mm-hmm. And and listening to environments, you know. Again, this is something out of the Pauline Oliveros book. So I can't. I think my life is tied together with sound and music, even when I'm not doing a musical thing.
1: Well, it's kind of like me asking you to describe something that you do without breathing. Isn't it to a certain extent your nature? How does your existence not entail something musical?
0: Just to say, yes, I I agree. And so like Pauline Olivera said, she told herself, I'm going to listen to all sound all the time. And I'm going to remind myself when I'm not listening. I like to think that I walk in a similar way, that I'm trying to be aware of many things at one time and really practicing that art of deep listening that she that she taught. But I would say, yes, I'm a little bit obsessed with throwing plastic. I love it and disc golf is absolutely fun.
1: So do you have a favorite course or like where's your favorite place to go? You know,
0: I don't get around to enough of the regional courses. There are, I have a long list of courses I'd like to get to. I do I you know, I started at Lowman in in Urbana and I and I do appreciate that course especially when I do travel a little bit and I get to play in other places and then I I get to to think about what is special about Lohman versus some of these other places. But I was at Dodds the other day and that was a lot of fun. It was a little frustrating for me, <laughs> but that has its own challenges. I like the courses in uh, Bloomington normal as well.
1: If people don't know what disc golf is, it's like playing golf, but with a frisbee and then there are actually varying sizes Yeah, they're all the they're,
0: they're sort of the same size but they're different shapes. So there's a driver and a putter and a mid-range and all that. There's a nice group here. You know, they do uh doubles leagues. People could look them up. They're very supportive of new people learning and there's a community for everything here, I'm yeah. sure.
1: <laughs> so but how did you get into disc golf?
0: Ever since I was a kid, I was throwing a frisbee, but even when I was a young person like doing like target golf with with frisbees but when i moved here to town i made friends with a student at the university of illinois who introduced me to this newly developing you know in 2004 or so i was getting involved and now it's incredibly blown up i mean i think also it was one of those things that people felt safe doing during covid because it's outside and so like everything has changed in the past 20 years for sure for disc golf but you throw the discs into a basket and you score like regular golf You know, you want to get a low score. You want to shoot under par.
1: It's just, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. Well, Jason, thank you for being on the show and telling me about your piece, Bereavement, and the whole Corocio Ensemble album. And I look forward to future releases and seeing you live. And thank you so much for making the trip out here and being on the show.
0: Oh, it was a pleasure, Sven. Thank you so much for having me here. Thank you for listening to Champagne is also a band podcast. This is Jason Finkelman reminding you great music is out there. Go find it where you live.
1: Champagne is also a band. You almost have an NPR voice, it's so good. <laughs> <laughs>